You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. The sound will continue for the duration of the program. Welcome to Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Alberson here today for a new episode of Sound of Sanity, a new beginning, we could almost say. Whoa. Who knew? Ben, you are a card, (laughs) bringing the quality humor already. (laughs) I I couldn't help it. What a joker. (laughs) What What a a joker. joker. Oh, that might tie into something later. (laughs) Guys, I am so excited. Sound of Sanity is back. We are going to be doing new episodes every other week this is the first real episode that we're doing and we're really excited i am at least nathan alberson your humble and obedient host that's me we've got benjamin solzer over there i don't even remember what his title is something a little less important than me and jake but still kind of important sounding co-producer maybe Mm -hmm. it was like Mm -hmm. associate associate producer associate producer you want to be associate producer producer burn do you actually do anything to produce these things though <laughs> uh performer whatever we've also right. got another p word pastor jacob menzel here how we doing jake <laughs> oh i'm great are you excited to be back in the the back back in sanity land you oh, feeling well, more I'll, sane I'll tell you what i'm excited about getting an episode done today all right well, that's what we're doing right we're now doing. and today's episode well it's early in october October's an interesting month, isn't it, fellas? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a spooky month. Why is it a spooky month, though? Candy corn. Candy corn is super scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's because of candy corn. (laughs) I I knew it. (laughs) If you're a Christian and you feel insane about candy corn, then I think the pagans do, too. (laughs) And I really don't think you're alone on that. Ben, when you said candy corn, that wasn't the right answer that was going to move the episode forward. I don't think I moved it forward at all. Jake, why don't you ask him about the month of October again and see what he says? Kind of a weird, spooky month. Why is that, Ben? Why do you think? I, maybe it's because Halloween. People are thinking about dead things and evil things and wicked things. And yeah, we're actually not going to do a do a history and... of October. We've done that kind of thing before yeah, on Sound right, of Sanity, right. actually. But it is the month when the harvest comes in, when people think about death, are dying, when trees are dying, trees are dying. Yeah, even Yom Kippur. It's Jewish Day of Atonement. Uh, yep. Right. Harvest Festival. Harvest but Festival. Happens early October, late September. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and All Hallows Eve, of course, which became Halloween. We could talk about all that, but for the purposes of this episode, I think what we want to say it is, is it is a month when people think about death and they think about violent catharsis, right? So when you think about death, you think about judgment. When you think about judgment, you think about people getting their comeuppance, you getting your own comeuppance, and you have to find ways to to deal with your conscience. And so it's sort of like, it's good that Ben brought up Yom Kippur because a lot of what we end up doing in the month of October, the kind of catharsis we seek is the kind of catharsis that we use to help us sort of ritually cleanse our consciences, you know, once a year. I don't remember ever doing that, Jake. So do you give me some practical idea of how I would do that in October? Ben, you've never ritually cleansed your conscience in October? (laughs) If I have, I didn't know it. Well, I used to do it a lot, and what I would do is watch really scary, really gory movies that took me as close to the feeling of death and decay and degradation and awfulness as possible. 
and then ended with the person stumbling into the sunlight as, as Leatherface impotently waved his chainsaw and she starts laughing as she gets away and you get to this moment of real cathartic release like I'm the final girl I made it I got away I'm getting out of Texas no more chainsaw massacres for me but everybody all my friends sure did get chainsaw massacred and that's what a horror movie does right I mean yeah you spend a lot of time most of your time trying to deny and hide the fact that you are going to die and you're going to face the judgment. You live in the fear of death and you try to cover that up, cover that up, cover that up, cover that up, cover it up. And it's going to need release. And so culturally, we have this period, I think, where we just sort of wallow and all decide together. We've just sort of all collectively decided together that this is the month where we we try to purge our consciences. And it's no accident that it's before mm. Thanksgiving and it's before Christmas. That's right. There's no accident that it's when the leaves are dying and everything is turning cold and bleak. All of those things line up for a reason. So then yeah, the when it comes to when it comes to how we do that, not it, we don't go and slaughter a bunch of animals every year and present them to idols or to the living god, either one. What we do is we partake of the bloodshed vicariously in a different way. We watch it. We watch it on screen. It's like you're saying people are unavoidably religious and that watching movies is part of that, Jake. That's crazy talk. That's exactly what I'm saying, Ben. All right. I actually agree with that. (laughs) I was just (laughs) feeding Jake a good question. So so there are two sides to it. One is like dealing with yourself and your own the judgment that weighs on you. Mm-hmm. And the other and the other thing that we do is deal with the lack of justice, the lack of judgment that we see in the world around us that makes us feel impotent and stupid, mm-hmm. right? Like w- what can we do about the injustice of the world? And so as much as we want to feel that catharsis for ourselves personally and our release of our own consciences before a holy God or the fake holy God that we set up, the scary demon that we set up, whatever it is, we also want to feel some kind of catharsis about the world being set right. And I think there again, horror movies really offer that to people, especially since the wave of early 80s slasher movies like your Friday the 13th, your Halloweens, your Freddy Kruegers, and, and now on into today with your Saw franchises. I guess Saw's a little old hat now. Actually, they're just bringing back all the old stuff. We've got new Halloweens now yep. and stuff like that. But what inevitably happens in those movies is you have a pure virginal type girl and then you have a bunch of callow, self-obsessed, nasty, narcissistic, beautiful teenagers and they're slaughtered. And I think they represent the worst of what we as Americans feel about ourselves. They're pampered, they're spoiled, they're stupid, they're narcissistic and they die and they die in the most grotesque, nasty ways that they possibly can and then sometimes the virgin survives sometimes the virgin doesn't but either way it feels like a really nice cathartic sacrifice and if you don't if you think i'm just talking metaphorically i'm really not i think you walk into a dark theater i mean you imagine in the old days you imagine walking into a cathedral or you imagine walking into a cave where a priest or a holy man is or a shaman of some type is actually going to do a blood ritual and then you think about paying your money at a theater you think about walking into a dark vaulted room Mm -hmm. with a shimmering light at the front and the shimmering light is going to tell you the story with gorgeous music and effects and it is going to 
implant within your brain this story of ritual sacrifice. And what people do is, and I've sat in these theaters, they cheer. They love it. They get into it. And every, every you know, new kill, it might be a, an even likable character. But if they get gutted and their, their guts come spilling out, everybody cheers. And it's because it's. I think it's really as simple as we are actually part of that ritual. There's something deep within us that yeah. feels release. And we want that release. That's mm-hmm. the point of it is the release. And so we come to this uh, October this Halloween season, nothing right. really new going on. New set of movies in the theater. Uh, one in particular that's really caught the imaginations of people coming into it. Got a lot of people excited about it. Uh, got a lot of people scared already. Not not scared like, oh, this, this movie's going to have a bunch of jump scares. Oh, this movie's going to to give me a psychological thrill, but scared like this movie's going to inspire violence. You know, this mm-hmm. movie's going to inspire people to take their need and desire for catharsis, in this case, vigilante catharsis, out to the streets themselves. Jake, you can only be talking about Won't You Be My Neighbor. Exactly. The Tom yeah. Hanks, Mr. Because Rogers. Because nobody wants to see Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. Are you kidding me? It's going to no. inspire a lot of yeah, violence. Yeah, it's going to inspire a lot of violence. <laughs> <laughs> people will be rioting. How dare you? Hanks will be <laughs> drug out into the street. And <laughs> <laughs> no, Jake's talking, of course, about the Joker. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. And people are starting to notice. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Oh boy, that looks dark and gritty and scary and profound. And it's like tapping into Taxi Driver and the old 80s Scorsese kind of movies that dealt in this kind of depression and catharsis really well Uh, you guys excited for this joker movie um, oh yeah for sure it looks like it's going to be good at doing that sort of thing it looks like it's going to do a good job for if that's the sort of thing that yeah the old abraham lincoln quote that he may or may not have actually said but i sure do like to attribute it to him for those who like that sort of thing, this is the sort of thing that they will like. And in this movie, of course, about Joaquin Phoenix, and he plays the impotent, pathetic man who's been wronged by society and pushed down by the Thomas Waynes of the world, the one percenters that yeah. rule Gotham, Gotham's ruling elite. And he can't even get his medications or meds for his mom. He can't get the help he needs. His the therapist is help, yeah. canceled on him. Because the, the 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 system doesn't take care of these kinds of people, the misfits, the rejects. Certainly, what it looks like, and he's going to snap, and mm. he's going to lead a revolution, right, of some kind or another. That's what's hinted at. Yep, it's going to be violent and cathartic, and we're going to feel like all our inner impotent self is set loose on the world to rage against it the way that because we can't. We feel pathetic. Absolutely, we feel pathetic, and actually. Jake, to be honest, I feel a little pathetic because we haven't had our regularly scheduled break yet. So we're going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, what's up, idiots? Welcome to Humanologians. My name is AJ. That totally stands for Awesome Jock. 
Uh, really? Because I've never heard you mention that before, AJ. Thanks, CJ. And now I'd like you to be quiet. Uh, what? I'm sorry, CJ. I shouldn't have said be quiet. What I meant was shut your big stupid mouth. Wow. Um, now my life, like, totally sucks. Well, you basically can't do anything about it, little pig. Idiot. I'm taking over as host. How's that, idiot? <laughs> Good one, CJ. Anyway, our next humanologian is BJ. Right, BJ? Um, BJ? Hey, uh, CJ, where's BJ? Did you tell him his birth mother was at the mall again? Or maybe a brand new hematologian will find you. Uh, what? Uh, I heard you say the words brand new. Well, uh, Mr. Masked Stranger, I never said those words, uh, bro. Uh, the brand new guy will be a new hematologian who's better than all of you. The brand new guy will be a new hematologian who's better than all of you. Uh, CJ, why don't you get that window replaced like hosta pronto and get some paper towels for this guy. He's bleeding. I am a manly man. Uh, I sense an oppressive force in the air. I sense a bunch of blood. Oh, well, this is the blood of the oppressed. Actually, I think it's just that you cut yourself when you fell through that window like an idiot. Yeah, idiots. It's like you remind me of idiots because you're dumb, like BJ. Ha! You're mean to BJ. Watch out, or he will put on a mask and come back to avenge uh, BJ. Wait a minute. BJ, is that really you under the mask? No, I'm someone totally different from BJ. Super BJ. A super idiot face. Shut <laughs> up, CJ. I have an awesome face. I mean, BJ has an awesome face. BJ will never submit to societal compression because instead he can dress up in a scary mask and teach the compressors a lesson. CJ, get BJ some paper towels and carpet cleaner right now or it's coming out of your salary. Hey, hey, uh, do you know where BJ is right now? Quiet, BJ. Paper towels, CJ? I do. He's, uh, uh hold on. Let me think. Uh, Got it! He's hiding from you guys, because you are jerks in a really manly hiding place. Uh, BJ, you suck. Ah! Like, why does your cape have Percy from Thomas the Tank Engine on it? Because I'm stronger than a locomotive. Specifically, uh, Percy, because he's not as strong as Thomas. <laughs> Thomas is so cool. Down with pig dogs! Uh, I had a dream about a pig dog once, after my mom left my dad. I was flying in the air with the pig dog in my Percy cape. Then I dropped the pig dog on the train tracks. And Thomas, the tank engine, ran over it. Blood everywhere. Ah! Uh, BJ, that's like really disturbing, bro. Uh, AJ. Shut up, CJ. Or, alternately, keep talking. Aren't you a little worried that BJ came and dressed up in his Percy cape and like broke a window and stuff? Well, I would be worried about those things, CJ. Except for one thing. BJ is dumb. Ah! BJ is angry. Watch out for Thomas the Tank Engine. Ow, BJ, stop throwing your stupid Thomas the Tank Engine toys at us. Uh, to be specific, I threw the collector's edition at you. How could you afford that, BJ? I thought you spent all your money on frozen pizzas. When it comes to vengeance, money is no object. That would explain the 1150 that was missing from the Hemanologian's piggy bank this morning. I'm calling the cops. Oh, no, uh, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'll totally give you guys all my Thomas the Tank Engine collector's edition paraphernalia. And there's frozen pizza in my backpack. Just don't call the cops, okay? And we're back. Always edifying spending time with the He-Manologians. Now, we have been talking about blood catharsis, blood sacrifice, especially as it relates to the fall, the harvest season, Halloween, October, horror movies, the Joker, all, the, all these things, all these ways that we seek release, that we seek a bloody catharsis within our own lives. 
Now, Jake, what do you want to say about all this? Here's the thing. The impulse for seeking out blood sacrifice goes deep down and all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And the fact is, sin requires blood sacrifice. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why our fathers in the faith sacrificed animals is because blood sacrifice points to Jesus. And what we have to do is not necessarily deny the need or the desire for that kind of of sacrifice, but to take all of our impotence, all of our rage, all of our what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with ourselves to the cross of Christ and see God's wrath poured out against sin on Jesus himself and to see Jesus making all things new and then to hope for the day of judgment when there will be another bloodbath. Yeah, that pretty much sums it. Oh, my stars. Wow. Ben, I... Uh, didn't didn't you didn't I tell you to deactivate the devil's advocate alarm? You you did so I did and I moved it into the new studio away from the old uh, classroom we used ben, to I, use. I didn't say it just seemed like a logical inference. Nathan. You know I feel like a little cathartic bloodletting right now. <laughs> actually, uh, uh, weren't you listening to Jake's point, Nathan? <laughs> I was, but, but the devil's advocacy alarm just went off, yeah. and that means one of us has to play the devil and argue against the assertion that we've been making the devil's advocate, I should say. Hey, I'll play the devil. Jake. Yeah. Listen, man, I understand that we do find the ultimate catharsis, one might say, in Christ's sacrifice, but shouldn't movies reflect that? Doesn't it make sense that aren't even our grossest slasher movies actually reflecting the way that God made the world? I mean, God is the one that created the world in such a way that sin means blood and only blood, you know, you know, like really in a, in a way, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but Friday the 13th, the Joker, whatever these movies are, in fact, accurate theological movies. They understand in a way that a lot of cinema doesn't actually, that blood has to be spilt, that justice has to happen, that there's payback, there's payment that has to be made, Right. See, no, that's not right at all, because, uh, in fact, that's pretty pretty dumb. None of your movies that do this sort of thing have any reference to there being a god at all, and so it's all about uh, our own, either us or some avatar of our subconscious. The id, as you put it, you know, rises up and takes vengeance for itself instead of leaving vengeance to the Lord. Well, you must not like the parables of Jesus very much, because... As I recall, they don't actually talk that much about God. It's usually about farmers and seeds and rain and kings. There's there's actually not a lot of explicit mentions of those kinds of things. Okay, give me an example. Uh, The parable of the seeds. It's about some seeds that fall on the ground and different birds eat some and the sun dries out some others. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? What did you just say? I said that you you said that your slasher films were more theologically accurate. Right, and then you said I said they have no reference to God at all. Yeah, and I, I'm saying a little story about seeds doesn't have explicit reference to God either, but it gets at larger truths, and that's what these movies do. No, no, your movies game set devil. <laughs> <laughs> That's just nonsense that you just said. Your movies, actually, the stories they tell, the ways that they go about telling the stories and the point of the stories have no reference to God whatsoever. The parables, the whole point is to point to God. 
in yes. the way that God made the world, which is not what you... So, so who is God in the story of the seeds in the parable of the sower? The point is that Jesus taught the parable so that people would know God. So it... <laughs> It's just a, it's a it's a it's a particular story told to illustrate a teaching, right? And if and it somebody has to be interpreted properly, and if and somebody so, watches so, a movie, even something as wicked as let's say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they will understand all, so you, that so God. Your made, argument is that all stories are intrinsically good. Like that's a that's kind of Jake. You're putting if, you're putting words in my mouth. <laughs> I did not say that all. You, you're not making any arguments. You're not saying anything. You're saying the Bible's got stories, and this is a story, so there, it's good. There you go. That just doesn't follow. Yeah, but you guys, what, what, I guess what I'm arguing is that you guys are being a little hard on stories of catharsis and judgment and blood because obviously these stories are going to exist. It is intrinsic to the way that God made the world. People are going to enjoy them. And maybe there is, is even a place for a Christian to go see something like Joker and use it to point people back to the gospel, right? Uh, you know, there maybe- are actually a lot of gospel themes in something like the Joker. Like God what? also made sex, but we don't recommend porn films to Christians. In fact, quite the opposite. We say there's that's it's a wicked thing. And so there could be wicked movies, wicked stories that just because they have, I mean, everything has reference to what God has made because everything is filming what God has made. That has nothing to do with whether or not you should tell the story of it and show it to people. Well, you're, you're <laughs> using our old friend, the argumentum ad absurdum. <laughs> uh, <my laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Nathan's favorite thing to do is to pretend like because he said a Latin phrase for a perfectly valid form of argumentation that somehow invalidates it. But I wasn't arguing. My point is, I was Argumentum argue- ad absurdum is a valid form of argument. I wasn't arguing. The whole point of that is that it's valid. If you call out argumentum ad absurdum, what you're saying is your argument is valid. <laughs> but you say it in a way as to say it's invalid, and it tricks people who don't understand what the words mean. Well, Jake, once again, you're making my argument sound a little absurd. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice trick. <laughs> but let's look at them in a less absurd way. <laughs> so, so, Ben... You're treating my arguments as though they are, in fact, fallacious. But <laughs> let's, oh, let's not do that. <laughs> let's pretend like they're not. <laughs> now, look, Ben wants to take it into the realm of pornography and i never wanted to take it there what i did want to say was simply that a movie like the joker had some themes that might be useful for christians to talk about and that point towards actual gospel truths and i'm I'm sure pornography has some themes that point towards gospel truths if ben wants to go there thanks a lot ben but that it's outweighed by the fact that it's pornography. We're not talking about pornography. We're talking about the Joker, which is you know what we're talking looks about pretty cool. Is how, what we're talking about is how stories, including vengeance, can. I mean, anything can be pornographic in the sense that you shouldn't be showing, shouldn't be dwelling on what you're, what's put on the screen before you. Violence can be pornographic. Stories of vengeance can be pornographic, or, or they can at least tap into your your own lust for vengeance. So whereas Jesus's parables and the whole Bible condemns our desire for vengeance and points us to God, these horror movies don't do that. They're not trying to point us to God. That's not their use. That's not the intention of their makers. That's not the story they actually tell. No, they feed our desire for vengeance. Yeah. They feed our lust for vengeance, our bloodlust, our desire for our kind of judgment, our kind of payback, our kind of you know, stick it to the man, but nothing... Which is something intrinsic to them. And if Christians were willing to engage with them more, see these movies, talk about these movies, they could use them. They could say, hey... If Christians were willing to preach the gospel, then maybe they wouldn't 
feel like they need or want these movies so much. And when Paul was at Athens, the way he preached the gospel was by saying, hey, there's this idol that you guys all like. So we just say, oh, everybody likes the Joker. And actually, I kind of like the Joker. (laughs) Actually, I kind of like Friday the 13th. (laughs) That was a hilarious summary of Paul's sermon. Well, I don't hear any arguments against it. No. Hey, I see you guys like to be drunk a lot. Well, you know, just... Me too. Hashtag me too. Wow. <laughs> oh, listen, guys, I'm going to drop the, the devil. The fact is, I think this devil's really stupid. And I think you can probably tell in my performance, I'm, I'm not giving him much dignity. Jake, you're good at giving the devil a little bit more uh, oomph. Do you want to try and give this devil some dignity? The thing uh, is, if people listen to our takedowns of Brett McCracken, Christians really do say this kind of stuff, which is why I'm yeah. not ashamed to actually kind of try my another best. another one of those coming up. Yeah. Um, Christians say will say things like Quentin Tarantino movies or nasty, violent, gruesome, evil movies point towards the depravity of man, point towards the upcoming judgment. They say these things explicitly and they right. couch it in some spiritual language. I'd probably do a better job of couching it in goofy spiritual language than I was just doing. Cause... Well, and, I, and as they do that, they verge more on blasphemy. So thanks for not. Yeah, I mean, I probably did. You know what? Let's 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 go to a break and we'll come back and talk about this in a minute. Devil, you had no point and we do not feel threatened by you at all. <laughs> we'll be back. 2 and a 3 and we're out. Okay. Solzer, did you roll the sketch? Yeah, Nathan. Solzer, how many times do we have to go through this? You and I are not on a first name basis, friendo. When we're off, Mike, it's Mr. Alberson. Or as the Spanish say, Mr. Alberson. Yes, sir, Mr. Alberson. It it won't happen again. The hilarious quote-unquote sketch is playing right now. Yes, sir. Better to keep those losers, a.k.a. our listeners, happy. I suspect so, sir. (laughs) The real clowns are them, am I right? We like to listen to Sound of Sanity. We're too dumb to handle straight truth and argumentation and ideas. We need sketches and humor and music and gimmicks. (laughs) People are so irrational and stupid. Light my cigar, Solzer. You'll find a blowtorch and some hundred-dollar bills around here somewhere. If I may be so bold, sir, it may cause JakeBot2000 to malfunction if you smoke around him. (laughs) That rusty pile of bolts. It'll keep following its protocol. If it knows what's good for it, right, Jake? Yes, Nathan. I agree with that point. Gotta love robots, right, Solzer? <laughs> Sometimes I almost feel like they were made to just do what we tell them. Yes, Nathan. I agree with that point. It's a good thing the real Jake will never escape from the impenetrable underwater prison I built for him. Now all I have to do is sit back and let the sound of sanity gravy train roll out into the station. Choo-choo! Yes, Nathan. I agree with that point. And the best part about it, Solzer? Well, you know what the best part is, don't you? You can't do anything about it. It turns out that kidnapping, imprisoning a podcaster is perfectly legal. Actually, most everything is legal when you're doing your podcast from a ship on international waters. (laughs) Yes, Nathan. I agree with that point. Yes, sir, Mr. Alberson. It was then that I realized I might just have to take action myself. The police weren't going to help me. The authorities weren't going to help me. The only option was to take justice into my own hands. Uh, Solzer, why are you talking like that? I I, I was dictating into my phone diary. And um, why were you talking into that tin can? I thought you wouldn't be able to hear me. (laughs) I didn't want to have to put a bullet in your chest, Ben. 
I wanted to shoot it in there, but since my gun is jammed, I'm gonna have to stab you with this knife and then put this bullet in there to make it look like an accidental shooting. No, please, Nathan. Bleep bloop, halt. Not everyone's favorite character, Radiohead. Do not resort to vigilante justice, Benjamin Solza. But how else am I supposed to get out of this predicament, Radiohead? Sometimes when the world seems unfair, Benjamin, there is only one thing you can rely on. What's that? Lasers. Kill, kill, kill. I would have liked to have seen Montana. Nice job, Radiohead. Yes, Nathan. I agree with that point. Shall we retrieve the real Jake from his oceanic confinement? Well, we could do that. Or with these loose wires and this stick of gum, we could rig up a Nathan Bot 2000. Yes, Ben. I agree with that point. Ooh. What do you say, Radiohead? You want to find out what the real sound of sanity is? Because I think it might be the sound of rustling green bills. You are not behaving in a manner that is known to me as the manner that Benjamin Solzer behaves. Haha. <laughs> well, what will you think of this? I think that you were wearing a very accurate mask, and now you have removed it, revealing that you are, in fact, Quentin Seltzer. That's right, Radiohead. Quentin Seltzer. So, are you in or out? Oh, I'm in, baby. Shall we toast our new business venture, Quentin? I'll get some champagne from the galley, Radiohead, but be careful with the glass I pour you. Tell me, why do I need to be careful with the glass of champagne that you are bringing me? Because the way this ship is rocking back and forth, I'd be a little afraid that you might spill, spill, spill. <laughs> yes, Quentin. I agree with that point. Excellent work, Quentin. You have accurately parodied the well-known catchphrase of Sound of Sanity's most popular character. <laughs> I think you mean... Second most popular. Oh, Quentin. All right, we're back. And during the break, we actually decided Jake would take a crack. Jake's always a fun devil uh, advocate. So, Jake, you want to try and... Put some flesh on these bones. See if there's another way to come at this. Yeah. Well, the first thing that uh, first I w- we should recap and say what's our what's what's the assertion that we're making here. Obviously, the there's assertion lots of is that about- a lot of these movies are rooted in our desire to deal with our own consciences before a holy God in a cathartic way, or to deal with the injustices of the world, which is to say, to deal with our own impotence in dealing with the injustices of the world, deal with the fact that we feel pathetic and unable to change the world around us. We feel like we're victims of the system or we're part of, you know, we just live in a sinful, broken world. What can we do about it? Right. And so it's an outlet for the the anger, the rage, the impotence, the frustration, the all the terrible ways that that just makes us feel bad about ourselves and our lives. Right. So it's a cathartic release for us. Right. We acknowledge that, hey, the world isn't that great after all, but wouldn't it be nice to just sit and watch the world burn? As another joker once said. Right. So- I guess our first assertion is that's what a lot of these movies are about. And instead of just giving ourselves over for a month to indulging in these sort of plays of vigilante justice and violent catharsis, we need to take those same desires to Jesus. And when it comes to us and our own sins, find the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Mm -hmm. who died on our behalf. And when it comes to the injustices of this world, to 
realize that vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay, and there is a day coming when he will make all things right. Set our hope on that day. And then engage in the world as truth tellers, as faithful Christians, as best as we can, and not uh, avoid the conflicts that are before us, because we have a, a God who will make all things right, but do our best to engage in healthy conflict and not sit around like impotent jerks. Right. A lot of people have been afraid that this Joker movie will inspire incel-related violence as involuntary celibate, the far nasty right violence by impotent young men th- that want their catharsis. That yeah. could happen. But I think the damage that even if that even if nothing that awful happens, the damage that the movie will do is that it will just make people feel a little bit more like the world's unfair and like where they can, they need to get theirs. They need to get back. And that's a dangerous thing to be feeding your soul. And the answer, as Jake says, isn't to just be a pacifist and pretend like wrong doesn't have to be redressed. Right doesn't have to win. But to understand that vengeance is mine, I will repay. God actually will settle the score. And that's what's enabled. And and he has sent Christ to die for us and so on. But Jake, you are going to play the devil against these points. Yeah. The first thing that I want to say is that actually I'm not convinced that these movies encourage the sort of violence that we're talking about. What I think they do is they allow us to get to live together in harmony as a people it provides us an outlet don't we isn't it much nicer that we don't live in a world where there is actual blood sacrifice where we're not slaughtering thousands of bulls or cows or steer or human sacrifice like the pagans of old they people used to do this for real now we do it for play we do it on screen and we go and we get our release that way isn't it much better to have this sort of cathartic release that we all need to feel to offer the world an opportunity to have this sort of cathartic release in a movie theater on a screen, mediated by a screen instead of in real life. What I actually think that movies like this might do in the month of October may serve to do is not to heighten our lust for violence, but to sort of satiate it, but in a safe, controlled sort of way. There's an interesting assumption at the heart of what you're saying, and history doesn't bear it out at all. When the Colosseums ended, it wasn't because Western civilization had found a more perfect way of expressing its bloodlust. It was because Judeo-Christianity was spreading and improving the world. That old school Celtic style, nasty paganism that did sacrifice virgins and stuff like that, that did you know, old school bloodletting. We didn't find a, a nice little substitute to get rid of that. What happened was Jesus. What happened was true atonement. What happened was the grace and power of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts. And where'd that all go? If it was so powerful, why do we feel the need? It, it is so powerful that even having denied it largely as a nation, we're still feeling the blessings, actually. And those mm-hmm. blessings are... That we don't have a Colosseum right now, for one. Right. Although we do have abortion, which is Right. Worse. We make our blood sacrifices. We right. spill gallons, oceans of blood every year. We have our sacrifices that we make, and they are horrible, and they are gruesome. So it's not like that's actually gone away. But insofar, if you want to make an argument that what we have now is an improvement on old-school paganism, which we can at least make that argument, Mm -hmm. we would still say the improvement came through the cross. It came through Jesus. It came through things like the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know. If, if you had some kid that liked to 
cut open frogs or something like that, a little budding serial killer, would you say, well, I'm glad he's not cutting open humans? Or, you know, he needs to find a way to get his blood less. Maybe he should take out, uh, uh, take up honey. Would that be your first uh, way of treating him as, as a pastor, Jake? Or would you maybe say, like, we need to deal with your bloodlust, kid? Well, okay, but we're ta- you're already talking about a kid that's crossed the line in terms of actually letting real blood. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about in this episode are vic- vic- vicarious ways of partaking in bloodletting, where it's not you, you don't have to do it, and it's not actually even real. It's all pretend. It's all fake. It's all on screen. It's a different story to talk about the kid who wants to just make frogs bleed, right? That kid's got a different problem, a different issue. I remember reading a Christopher Hitchens piece where he dismantled the Ten Commandments. And one of the things he said about covetousness and about maybe a couple other was that it's thought crimes, right? And actually what Christianity engages in is thought crimes. And I feel like you're starting down that road, you know, if you're going to accuse me, because because obviously I'm going to say, well... Jesus says, if you murder someone in your heart, or if you hate someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Like, he holds us accountable for violating that command if we simply hate someone. And therefore teaches us all that we are all guilty. And if we're all guilty, then nobody's guilty. And that doesn't that sort of lower the bar? No. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to... Well, my my point is... Like, it heightens the bar. All, all Jesus did his whole ministry was raise the bar. Then let's... But isn't there a sense in which if you heighten the bar so much at a certain point, you've you've lowered it? Yeah, if you're a, a bad theologian <laughs> who hates <laughs> sanctification and wants to just make an excuse for us to sin so that grace may abound. But that's not what we're talking about. The, the Bible does acknowledge a realm of sins that exist within our heads, and it does acknowledge the sin of bloodlust, right? The sin of simply, you know, the Proverbs talks about the evil man that simply lies in wait, that can't sleep unless he's done violence. The Lord says, he who loves violence, it doesn't say he who commits violence, my Mm -hmm. soul hates. It says, he who loves violence, my soul hates. There's something that goes on in our soul when we see, whether it's depicted or whether it's real, when we see blood, when we see gruesome things happen to people made in God's image, something happens in our soul that God forbids. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, but here's here's the deal. Not everybody out there is a Christian, as it turns out. Not everybody out there has the most healthy way of dealing with these tensions that we all feel. Can't you give them a lower bar common grace sort of way of dealing with it that's sort of actual murder? You mean a a common grace way of it that's short of actually submitting to Jesus? I mean, all you're saying is that you should just let them go their own way as much as you can, right? What What you're saying is some people are crippled, so can't they have a wheelchair or a crutch? And I'm like, yeah, I have the antidote that lets them walk. So it's evil to give them a wheelchair. Besides, actually, it's because it, it's it's not like in this case, it's not so much a wheelchair. Is it? it what would be the right analogy? It's I don't know. That them, it's making is. them love violence more. Right, the wheelchair is rolling downhill. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Can't, <laughs> they're already in a wheelchair. Can't you put them on the downhill slope <laughs> so they can roll further? <laughs> That's what you're saying. Like, can't they love violence more? They already do, and they're already full of bitterness and vengeance. So can't they just enjoy it more all the time through? Lots of mainstream media sitting in giant screens like cathedral and letting it fester in their minds for hours at a time. That's yeah, really but what then you're it's saying. over, and then we're on to Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> Happy times of the year. Happy times of the year. 
Yeah, that's why families in America are doing so well. I'm sure that those slasher films help them. Well, this is where if I wanted to be a really, you know, paper rustling kind of conservative pundit, I might mention school shootings. I might mention the stories where teenagers take videos and laugh as, as someone is stabbed or someone drowns. There's all that kind of thing that we could talk about, the hardening mm-hmm. of men's consciences. But let's just talk. Let's, let's not even go that extreme. Let's just talk about the little, the little hardening that happens to people, the callousness or the decreased ability to empathize with the pain of their common man, the little bit of increased love of uh, but, nastiness and grossness. You're telling me you can't see those effects in our society? Can't it work inversely? Can't, can't a movie where you see suffering depicted work to awaken empathy for those who suffer? I mean... Why, why does it have to be a hardening effect? I thought art you know, was meant to make you feel, not meant to make you dead, right? It's meant to make you feel certain things. And so why can't, why can't some of these films awaken a holy desire for justice, a holy desire for redemption, a holy desire to alleviate and comfort and empathize with those who are who are suffering. The, the, the fact is many films can, and we were never arguing that movies as a as a medium weren't capable of doing some Anything nice things good. for people. We're arguing that these movies make people do or succeed well, these in movies making is people pretty feel. broad, so these particular <laughs> movies that we've been talking about movies that deal and we we can define it however we want, but movies that deal and principally exist to deal in violent bloody catharsis. And, and the kind of catharsis that succeeds in making you feel happy about bloodletting on screen makes you enjoy it more, makes you get more of a release through seeing it happen. It's not designed to raise your moral sensibilities. It's not designed to make you want to care about the downtrodden. It's designed to make you feel like, yeah, I'm a victim too, or I'm an angry person too, or glad that person got theirs, or whatever it is. And I'll admit that there's some fine lines and some distinctions and some places where discernment is needed. You know, what is the difference between enjoying the justice, God's justice of watching John Wayne finally kill the bad guy and enjoying bloodletting of a in a Quentin Tarantino movie? Where's the line? What's the line? Does Die Hard cross the line? Which side of is Braveheart on? You know, we could talk about that. We could we could talk endlessly about any given movie. We can, but let's start by acknowledging that there's something on the bad side of the line, right? Let's start by will you just give me this, Mister Devil? That there are some so, movies, some movies. We we don't even have to decide today what they are. Maybe my problem is where you want to draw the lines because you just drew like, oh, if it was in the 1950s or 60s. With John Wayne, that's cool, but the 90s or 2000s with Quentin Tarantino. That's because podcasting requires me to come up with analogies <laughs> quickly, and so I'm going to use, in order to be appropriately shorthands. facile with words, I'm going to use certain shorthands. We, I think we all understand that older movies are generally less violent. That's not to say that every 1950s movie is wholesome yeah. and every new movie is bad. It's, it's, it's not to say that a little spurt of blood can't come out of somebody when they get shot in a movie. It's just simply to say whatever it was I was trying to say when I said that. What you said is, can we agree that there's a line? Right. And so, Mr. Devil, I ask you, can we agree that there's a line? Can we agree that Friday the 13th, say, is on the wrong side of the line, that people simply shouldn't watch that? Can well. we? Can we tell our listeners that they simply should not watch slasher films, films which would identify themselves as being about blood 
shed for bloodshed's sake, basically. Like the filmmakers, it was not like they'd, they'd try and dress it up with any kind of artistic pretension. They would simply tell you, we wanted to kill as many people in this movie and make it as cool as possible. And that's why, that's what you're paying for when you buy your ticket. Can we agree that that's bad? Yeah, we can agree that it's not the greatest thing ever. <laughs> How about that? But you know, it's also not the greatest thing ever is instead of buying a ticket, going to Walmart and buying an AR-15 or wherever you can get them nowadays and then going to the movie theater. Well, that's just, I don't know. I'm sure there's a fallacious argument we could, that's, what is that? Ben, you know what fallacious argument? That's that's saying because there's one bad extreme, we need to do this other bad thing. And it's like, uh, wait a second. The fallacy of the excluded middle. Yes, the fallacy of the excluded middle. What about the good thing we could be doing? (laughs) (laughs) Have you guys seen The Purge? (laughs) Uh, no. I have me neither. <laughs> I've I've read the plot synopsis and it sounds really stupid. You know what the idea th- that that's actually an interesting thing to bring up because mm-hmm. the the idea of that movie is that for one day out of the year crime is legal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's this it's like this utopia if I understand it correctly, it's this utopian society where nobody ever gets raped or murdered or anything bad happens the other 364 days because the philosophy what the movie's predicated on is actually what you're arguing devil is that if people could just get it out of their system but that's not how sin works i mean I, I, you've been a young man you've looked at pornography before don't you kind of always think doesn't the devil actually come whisper in your ear the real devil that if i can just give myself to this if i can just give I myself to give my myself lust, to it later i won't yeah i'll get I it out of my system to. i just I, I i feel sexually ready to explode right now if i can just get it out of my system and is that ever the way that it works is that ever the way that sin works if i could just make a little bit of money then i won't be greedy that's not how any sin has ever worked if i can just eat a little bit of food then i won't be gluttonous Nope, works the opposite way. If I just visit the whorehouse, then I will get rid of my worst sexual urges. That's that's just not how life works. That's yep. not how sin works. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm done trying. Devil that defeated. Was good, though. Yeah, that was good. That, that was, was good. good. I will I will take my hat off to you. That was more mm-hmm. plausible than mine. <laughs> John Owen says that every least motion of sin, I forget the exact quote, but every least motion of sin in our hearts would be the worst possible expression of it if we let it. Yes. If we removed good. all restraint. And I, I think that that's right. Um, and it goes right along with what you're saying. Every twisted sinful desire in us, if given free reign, it would blossom into the w- absolute worst expression possible of itself. The question is only at what point do we cut it off? Right. Where is the place where we draw the line of what we think is acceptable sin? And that's why we're not allowed as Christians to give ourselves any quarter with our sins. It has to be rooted all the way out. You never give a little because to give a little is to give Well, and traditionally, away the, game. the law yeah. existed in Western civilization after Jesus to uphold that, to help us not to, to make us afraid to cross those lines, both in society, you know, how, how would you say it? Both in our heads and in our actions, right? The law, now we've reduced it we keep whittling it away, but we've reduced it to the bare minimum, the idea that the law exists to keep me from actually murdering Ben when I want to murder Ben. But if I want to paint a picture of murdering Ben, if I want to make a movie about murdering uh, a guy that's a little bit like Ben, then 
that's protected under artistic Ken, freedom. <laughs> named Ken Ulcer. <laughs> Ken Ulcer. <laughs> no, just purely fictional character. <laughs> Any resemblance is accidental. <laughs> We've reduced it, right? So, and that sucks. And it's not that I'm a big proponent of censorship. It's not that I don't think artists should be able to talk about the depravity of the world, the way that, you know, the different challenges that people have in living this life on this spinning globe of misery. But it used to be that, once again, society actually drew some lines for people, drew some hard lines and said, if you give yourself to this kind of thought thinking, if you give yourself to this kind of pornography, not only will it result in you giving yourself to base actions, but also, in and of itself, it's just bad. You shouldn't give yourself to that. It's bad for society, and it's bad for you, and it's against God's law. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Santa Sanity Today was produced by Nathan Albertson, executive produced by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Albertson. Associate performed <laughs> by Benjamin Solzer. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time, stay sane.